welcome y'all to our third season of the You and Your Business podcast. This is the first one of the year. We've been a little bit wrapped up and busy for the last several months. And so we've kind of delayed starting our season. We are really excited to have a very special guest here with us today. We have Jacob Limon. Hey, thanks so much, it's Jacob. Great to be with Jacob, you. Jacob um, is in town in Lafayette visiting. Tell us about everybody a little bit of what you're doing here in Lafayette. You know what? I don't really know. I, you know, <laughs> my I had a roommate in, in college. His name was Luke Ungarino, and he said, "Hey, you should really come down and spend my time." No, not just housemates, not just like sweet mates. We share the same little cell together. You know, so wow, <laughs> that had to be very interesting. <laughs> it was. I remember the first time that we prayed a night prayer together. I looked over because I thought he was joking. You know, his chant voice sounds like a dying whale. You know, you hear him say stuff like that. It's like, yeah, it sounds like a dying whale. It literally like, oh, I now know what a dying whale sounds like. Yeah. So it's easy to make me die, though. I am going to give him a hard time about that for the rest of his life. You know, he's been a year in religious life. I'm sure it's improved since then, but, you know, it didn't hurt me. I don't know. I haven't heard him sing too much at church, so it might be. He's keeping it low so he doesn't offend everybody around him. <laughs> so he, he's now teaching at John Paul's great over here, and they're wanting to get their board together to think a little bit more critically about education and Good. other things. And so um, there's a number of people that can follow New Polity's podcast and such. And so we're going to get into the nitty gritty some some other economic issues later tonight as well so and a lot this it. morning with you yeah love it i um i think i mean one of the topics we're going to talk about today is distributism and we're going to get into a little bit of your family history and a little bit just a little bit just touch on that so that our listeners who don't know who you are mm-hmm. kind of hear a little bit about yourself um but i think and the reason why i love distributism is because of the effect it has right um and we're going to talk about that what I have learned is even in Catholic circles, very few people know what it is. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think one of the things that brought me to want to study economics and the church's social doctrine was because I had never heard anything about it. You know, I was a new Catholic, so excited to be with Christ in his church and learning a lot. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, do's and don'ts as a Catholic. And particularly, you think about, you know, within moral theology, sexual issue stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just all over the place. And yet, despite all the specificities within that area, mm-hmm. there's almost nothing said about money today. It's popularly just ignored. ignored. Yes. And yet, Jesus talked about money more than any other subject in the gospel. It really does. It's, it's weird. Yeah. And uh, so I thought I was really spent some time figuring this out, and it was a very painful process, and it's been extremely practical in my life and in ways that I've wanted to convert and uh, or not wanted to convert and you know seeing that I've, that I've had to and um, truthful set you free right? you know what and life is just so much better now I'll say that it's kind of a prefacing and conclusion that's <laughs> <laughs> awesome mm-hmm. um so and we're going to dive into all of that because it's you know, Joseph knows Joseph uh, Benton is our producer today guys <laughs> say hello to them. hey guys <laughs> <laughs> Um, he doesn't like to be in front of the camera, but you know, <laughs> very good behind the camera. Um, that's you know, distributed thought process is one of my favorite things to talk about. Great, because I think it's um, it's so important economically, and we look at our like the United States, and really, it's just happening all over the world. 
what's happening is is we're moving to this big major corporate culture world, mm -hmm. which is purely not the business. Mm -hmm. um, and small town America is dying. Yeah. And so unless they have people in those towns that are willing to reinvest and and um, create opportunity for other people, they die. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I believe that if we want, that's such an important part, especially from a moral side mm -hmm. of our world, if we want our country to thrive, we've got to find ways to revive small town there. Yeah. Because when you throw them in big, big corporate cultures, so to speak, it's the antithesis of what we think is morally right most of the time. And I haven't lived in that, um, having lived in those big corporate cultures and being challenged to do things that would go against my core moral values. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty tough. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you, you get held between, oh, yeah, we're going to pay you this really good six figure salary. Mm -hmm. um, and you have a bunch of kids who meet it, or you can go somewhere else. Ultimately, my world is just this much. Yeah, that's great. But it, it, it is something that's antithetical to kind of the American ideals as well, yeah. not just to the Catholic ones, right? Uh, but kind of the best of America. I mean, you look back at Thomas Jefferson, who's praising the yeoman farmer, not himself sufficient. No, Jefferson's ideas had it riddled with problems, I would say. But there were some good truths in there, and the meat, the better, the reasons why he was. Promoting and that yeoman farmer, the guy that's able to provide for himself, is that a he was grounded in a particular place. B he was virtuous and industrious, and that's actually making his living by his own work. Uh, and and then also see that he was through that industriousness, growing in virtues that will then turn around and help him be one with his community. So those are. Very, I mean, they need some baptism, those ideas, but they're, they're luminous. There's something about that hard work that creates virtue. Yeah. You know, I don't understand it. You know, I mean, I work hard, but I don't understand what causes that. But there's something about that that creates that in a person when they're working really hard. And maybe it's because they're not so distracted with other things or whatever. But um, it's certainly, um, you see that in a lot of most people who are really hard work. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, John Paul II starts out with the Lord Exercise when his 1981 encyclical. Uh, he's talking about how work actually is a means by which we become more human. Isn't that wonderful? It's just incredible it's, stuff. It's, yeah. it's great. Hold on. <laughs> we can delve into his stuff, and that's why he appeals across all spectrums, not just to Catholics, mm -hmm. right? He appeals across the Protestant spectrum, even into the Muslim world. and that's yeah. something he was just an appealing um, because his sis and I love his philosophies and you listen to him far on, on the dignity of the human person and yeah. it's something for me that of course that's why distributism ranks high for me because the dignity of the human person is really the core of how we move through everything or it should be the core of how we move through everything whether we treat each other or in the workplace right um, it's, it's, and that's good. <laughs> it's a really good thing. <laughs> so tell everybody a little bit about your history. Yeah, so I was born, raised in, or I actually wasn't born, actually, rather raised in Seattle, Washington, uh, just on the east side, Redmond, actually, Microsoft, you know, Microsoft. Oh, wow. Florida. Okay. And so I never worked for the corporation and never worked for a corporate company, uh, but my dad did, and that's what brought us there. 
he um, was a Muslim born in Jerusalem. My mom was, when I, by the time I was born, uh, happy evangelical that was born in interesting Jerusalem. okay yeah i had read that yeah. <laughs> it's interesting yeah she was born into a catholic family and then the family left the church over humanite vitae um, by the time my mom was 11 years old and kind of catechesis and the regularity mm -hmm. of the catholic life ceased for her then and so when she went off and moved to the middle east met and married my dad she wasn't really giving up um much of an active faith at all to mm -hmm make the pledge to raise the kids muslim well when they moved to the states and she her neighbors evangelized her she became you know a regular protestant um uh you know excuse me regular in practice i mean not just uh <laughs> run of the mill uh she um you know would come sneak into my room at night and tell me things about jesus and my dad would come over and teach me how to pray a different way and and uh and so that a little confused. Yeah, I was kind of back and forth, back and forth, trying to figure out what was going on. And uh, then they sent me to this classical school, and so I'm learning all That's about it right the, there, right? Well, the, <laughs> I was learning all about the ancient, you know, pantheon. It's like, man, I'm really confused now, right? You know, it was uh, the classical education needs to be baptized too, right? right? You know, <laughs> um, and and they did later on. It was a, it was a Christian school as well, and so it finally, after some time, we were reading the the gospels and um and i started to have a major conviction of my sins and seeing turning to my dad's faith seeing that there wasn't really something substantively different um mm -hmm. in the manner in which i was supposed to be doing better so it's just to better try harder um whereas within christianity my mom's faith there is something that god did that was substantial and free me um so i jumped around different protestant Denominations not feeling happy or at home with any of them until I found traditional Christianity. So I became an Orthodox catechumen and kind of the same long story. I became a Catholic catechumen simultaneously and left a huge fan of the Orthodox and very convinced that I really needed the Pope and uh, and that there was one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and so I've been a Catholic for almost 10 years now and um, studied, you know historical philosophy and classics in undergraduate and, and that had a big uh, a lot to do with kind of pushing me into that direction or just exposing me to the wonders of being able to see christ's face more clearly um, i carried that on into uh, doing islamic philosophy and quranic studies particularly the reception of biblical material in the quran for my masters at oxford um and then i was invited to continue on for the doctor which i worry you know said you know that was great to do the islamic philosophy stuff but there's better philosophy out there and mm -hmm. uh and so we'll look right back to the to catholic metaphysics and um and particularly trying to apply that into the questions of politics and economics so that's really my sweet spot and you know we uh we spent some time in bc uh, working you know along the way with just kind of like a seamless time in the academy and uh, and recently, a few years ago, we started a venture studio in our little podunk town of Steubenville, Ohio, uh, which it boasts of having the highest percentage of HUD housing in the United States, wow. government subsidized Section 8 housing. I did not know that. It's something that's something crazy. Yeah, we're a very poor town. Three quarters of our storefronts in downtown are all boarded up. Uh, there's a lot that needs to go into fixing it up. And so a big thing of 
what we've been trying to do at New Polity, which is this venture studio, is to be a think tank exploring Catholic social doctrine, but not being all talk and no game, actually right. putting our faith into practice and helping to start new businesses, new ideas, and ventures. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, I we're having that. fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, just, I mean it, at least from a distributed standpoint, the core is that it is the only owning of property. Mm -hmm. And businesses is, I mean, they have that's property. That I look at that as property, right? Absolutely. I mean, they're, whether it be intellectual property or whether it be physical property, you know, this table or the business itself that has value, that creates jobs, that I mean, that, that's, um, I've read a statistic recently that 98% of all businesses in the country are small businesses. Mm -hmm. That makes sense, right? Right. <laughs> and although they, and they employ 60% of all employees. Yeah, I, I, um, I recently came across this, uh, put your money where you're Life is uh -huh. the name of a book that kind of spells out some of these stats for me. So I mean, I, I, as a small business owner, I think everybody should have a small business. Sure. Not everybody has the acumen to do that, but um, you know, I think it's um, I think it's important. So I love what you're doing. Great, thank you. We'll have to explore more on that at some point. I love what you're doing. I think it's just fantastic. Great. Um, I've thought of in the past. I thought there would be some good ways to set up foundation to do those kind of things. And, Great. Well, I love to get into the nitty gritty. Yeah. So now you're married. Yep. How long have you been married? We've been married about three and a half years. We've got two, two little kids. Uh, boys and girls? Two boys. Two boys. Yeah. They're very understandable. Nelly, how's the teenage year? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't really know what's going to happen if a girl comes along. You know, like, you know, it, it changes boys, everything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if a boy starts crying, you don't care that much. You know, yeah. part of your job is to get them a little bit dirty. You right. Know? So, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, there's a delicate creature. Well, I have two boys and four girls, and it is definitely different raising girls and boys. Yeah. I don't care what the world tells you. Yeah. It is definitely different raising boys and girls. <laughs> in in all, all ways, it's a, it's a lot of fun, um, and a lot of fun in a lot of different ways. It's also very challenging. I think the boys were probably easier than the girls. For all the years, or particularly what for all the years? Wow. Okay. okay. Um, well, I'd say that they were probably harder so when they were little. little. Yeah. <laughs> they were probably harder when they were little because they were so much more active. Yeah, they are. I mean, and they break things and try to burn things and things like that. Yeah, yeah. that's what boys do. Um, but once you got past about eleven. The boys were definitely easier. <laughs> <laughs> we had uh, our, our oldest in St. Blaise and, and St. Blaise's oh, day, day was, was last week. And so, you know, we're kind of prepping and coming up to the day. So, hey, you know, St. Blaise's feast day is coming up in the, end of the morning of before we get off the bus. Hey, you know, it's a big day, you know, happy name day. St. Blaise's feast day. Goes, yeah, it's my feast day. You know, uh, it's St. Blaise's feast day. It's your name day, you know. <laughs> And uh, you know he was a bishop. He goes, yeah, I'm a bishop. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so we're figuring that out. Well, you never know. Maybe one day. <laughs> Yikes! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's pretty crisis. And what's your wife's name? Alice. Alice. And how did y'all meet? We were at Baylor University together for our undergrad. Mm -hmm. um, she and I remember the same friend group. She was dating a friend of mine for most of her time. So it was uh, nice to get to know her outside of all that. And yeah. 
So then we both graduated. I heard that you know they had broken up, started to date a different guy that I, I knew about. And so I wrote her a letter and said, um, I hear that you're in the habit of dating my friends. And if I wait around until there's no competition for you, then I hear that day is just never going to arise. Ah, and uh, really? yeah. <laughs> she kept that letter. She did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'll be one she's going to have to show your son. Yeah. That's a pretty bold move. Yeah, it was great, you know, but because we had you know some years of friendship, we pretty much just I just pretty much proposed to her and we got married, you know, that wow. the date. So it was well, I mean like you said, yeah. you knew her. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. Um so tell me how like you your new polity and mm -hmm. your just how did that how did you get down that path? So, I mean I'm sure there's a path to go there yeah. a path for you. So tell 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 the listeners a little bit about that. Well, you know, it really did begin with me having a very average American financial life. And I, you know, I was very happy, eager Catholic um, when I first converted. And I hope, please God, still now, um, you know, and I was, when I was really struggling with something. And I was going to Mass every day. I was praying my rosary every day. And yet I was finding myself increasingly uncomfortable for only being a Catholic for an hour a day. Mm -hmm. That my life was not very identifiably different than the average, you know, spiritual but not religious American. Mm -hmm. Or honestly, like I was living in England at the time, uh, the average atheistic Brit. And that disturbed me. And that was, it should be distinguishable. Oh, gosh, if it's not, then what did Jesus do? You know, what, did, what way of life did he show us? Um, I mean, we can read the Gospels, things like the Sermon on the Mount, and think, yeah, I've heard this a lot, and not realizing that he was dropping political dynamite everywhere. Oh, absolutely. You know, the, understand the history. Yeah. I mean, That's why they hated him. Yeah. <laughs> they crucified him, man. Yeah. Jews um, <laughs> and the Romans hated him. Yeah. <laughs> so pretty much everybody. <laughs> yeah. And so there is this kind of disturbing uh, realization that was coming to and, you know, I mentioned kind of a family that came out of my dad was a finance manager at Microsoft and such. And, you know, I will never forget when he came to me, they stacked <laughs> papers one day and said, hey, I'm going to start to teach you how to analyze stocks. I was 11 years old, you know, and, and he gave me $2,000 when I was 11 years wow. old, you know, to start investing. And, uh, you know, that was just the milieu of our household and what we did. And so I uh, just assumed it and took it for granted. And. Um, that's the great thing about being a Catholic is that you can't do that anymore. And <laughs> there's you have to think through it. Yeah, and, and honestly, and I put it kind of in that negative light, but light, but really the truth is that loving Jesus Christ is almost addictive. You know, you just fall in love with him more and more every day, and you want to be able to see his face more clearly. And that's really the driving factor for all exploration mm -hmm. is to be able to actually know and love God more because he's not the one holding you back from that relationship. He's all in already, yeah. you know, and, and so there's there's a chance for that greater joy with him. Uh, the exploration is something that's fueled um, by that hope of having greater intimacy with Christ. So, um, so that was kind of a big thing that I, I wanted to do. And so what I did was just start reading through the tradition um, on, on primarily the 19th, 20th century encyclical tradition, where we find that the popes, the popes and the magisterium as a whole, 
spoke about economic and political issues more than anything else. And people don't realize that. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, and it's, and it's when you read it, you know, like we're on the bar. It's my single most favorite um, encyclical of all time. Um, it's so simple to read mm-hmm. and it's so clear. it's not all these things that people pull in all the different directions to make it what they want right it is so simple to read and so clear that's why i gave joseph that book (laughs) 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 this is is what it's all about um and it you know the the ones that are more difficult to read are the ones that's like more theological and all that but i find the ones on economics it's really not hard to understand if right. you have a hard to understand right absolutely yeah um well one thing that i learned along the way was that as a layman my particular duty is to sanctify the temporal order that's the way the vatican ii speaks mm-hmm. about our what we are called to do as the laity okay well, what does that mean well really it is you know particular um understanding the equal and opposites, yes, still under control of the evangelical councils. Mm-hmm. So the poverty, chastity, and obedience. So we're talking about prior to the vow of poverty, we lady engage in profitable economic activity where they take vows of chastity, we get married and have children. Whereas they take vows of obedience, we engage in politics. And so the principles of Catholic economics is something that we all, as lady, really need to know. It's not something just for some high-minded elites to to think through. We all are supposed Mm -hmm. to be sanctifying the temporal order, but as a result, we need to know what we should be doing. And these are not things that you just can intuit and be like, yeah, you know, we're just good people. This like, no, actually, you can't separate it. And and I've had that debate with many Catholic people, but cannot separate it if you if you believe that there is no separation between your economic life and your religious life mm-hmm. or political life right and your religious life it is all one right, right? yeah so we i think most catholics know that the magisterium has a full control over matters of faith and moral right and and so then a lot of catholics are just suggesting like to say, yeah, economics isn't about morals. This is science, you know, this is mm-hmm. how things work. It's like, yeah, but science of human activity. Right. And human actions are either moral or right. immoral, right. and there's no neutrality right. the church has thought of. And boom, uh, Pius XI, of course, actually just had to bring this up explicitly because he heard it enough. And he was annoyed by that argument. He said he brings this up in Quadrigestable Auto, that encyclical came 40 years after Rare Navarro. And he says, you know, these economics and the moral life cannot be separated ever. And uh, I've even seen Catholic apologists uh, cite uh, say him to the beginning of that sentence where he says, um, where they are two different fields of study, obviously they're two different fields of study, they are interconnected. Mm-hmm. I they, read that. Yeah. So they cite the first half of that. They're two different fields of study. Yeah, it's like, that is evil, man. Right. You're just mis- you just misquoted the poem very directly, you know? And it's like, there's no excuse for that. Right. No. And, and we often make excuses for ourselves, and, and we try and read documents and flip their meanings. We all do it, you know? And this is just one of these times where we have to turn to Mary and say, you know, help us be docile. Help yeah. us to say, you know, you know, that will be done. And like I shared with you before, um, before we started recording, mm-hmm. um, we, we try to 
um, move through that distributed philosophy with our clients, right? And it's interesting that I find um, a lot of my Protestant brethren embrace it more quickly um, than the ones who are running Catholic running or proclaiming their Catholicism and running their business. So it's it's interesting that that um, I'm not. I think a lot of it has to do with a much more missionary focus amongst Protestants and necessarily yeah. amongst the general Catholic culture. Mm -hmm. You know, like when I shared with them that my daughter is a missionary sister, yeah. she's in a monastery now, but the order's missionary. They're like, that is so awesome. Tell I didn't even know y'all did that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we've been doing missions since day one. She just fits in about two by two. But it's interesting that from that standpoint, from the economic standpoint, they embrace that much more quickly. You know, mm -hmm. they're much more quick to embrace the yes, we're going to grow profits, and our employees deserve a portion of that mm -hmm. because of that. Mm -hmm. Without them, it's okay. yeah, yeah. So share with everybody. Just kind of, you just pretend like I've never heard of distributed. Distributed one, one, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> distributedism is uh, is an economic philosophy that describes the state of life. So there's there are state of society, just as capitalism and communism do as well. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a particular society where the average person has the means of production to be able to provide for himself and all who are under his care. Okay. There's a pretty basic, yeah, right. pretty basic definition. Um, this does not mean that that person has the full ability to provide for everything that he needs. He needs. No, he's not like a loner off into the wilderness. Right. Spare We're not going off the grid. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. down to our belly button. Yeah. Uh, it also doesn't mean that everything has to be uh, small business and localist either. Technically speaking, uh, there's there's great conversations we have on that, and um, and I think there are other arguments in the Catholic tradition um, that are specifically endorsing local that form of localism but it's not a, a precept of distributism um and, and, and it's even um not a philosophy that is attempts to be utopian in the sense that every single person has to have the means of production just a reasonable percentage of a society where the ethos of ownership begins to take over the culture at large. And I think that's core, right? Yeah. The ethos of ownership, mm -hmm. right? And ownership takes from perspective, and it could be ownership of their own home, it could be ownership of the land that they're on, yeah. it could be the ownership of the business or intellectual property. Okay. And um, I think in the United States, we've probably gotten away from that significantly, mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. but I think that um, it is at least still enough to where there is some opportunity to spread that, right? Yeah. Um, so I like the way you put that, the ethos of the ownership. Because mm -hmm. um, I do think um, some people look at it too tightly as localism only, and that's not necessarily the case, right? right? I mean, and even in my own business, we have people in North Carolina and Little Rock. Right. Well, I couldn't survive without them. They're great people. They're, I think they're well compensated. I mean, they're they're very they very good at what they do. But that's not localism, right? It's right. Little Rock, and that's North Carolina, and <laughs> New Orleans, and 
Um, so I, I do think some people kind of focus too tightly on that. I mean, I think there is some level of localism to it, mm -hmm. right? But it's not the sole way. Uh, I, for instance, you have um, people now who are working remotely for software design companies or starting their own software design company and they have people working remotely. So that's not localism either. And it's not really physical ownership as much as intellectual. Right. Uh, absolutely. And I think that's changed from the first time when Warren Navarro wrote was written. Right. Because it was just a different level of technology and society, right? But that's right. And, and there's, you know, that's, that's a, actually kind of a more technical questions, but I'll just uh, say this about it is that when John Paul II writes and tests on us 100 mm -hmm. years later, 1991, you do start to get that shift. You know, the internet hasn't yes. taken over yet. Um, but but he saw a technological shift, and I think even I don't remember the exact words, but he talked a little bit about that. It's not that it's there's a bigger, a broader perspective to ownership. Absolutely, he does, and he says, and he primarily identifies various skills, the ownership of, of certain skills um, that we can have that will be able to be the means of our provision. Um, but he says that those are no replacement of physical assets such as land. Right. That all of all of our skills, all of our abilities, are tied to the real gifts that God gave us. So we can't just say we're in a new era, new way of thinking yeah. about these things. Uh, and there, they get to kind of into a complicated conversation. So maybe we should no, no, that, I understand that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think everybody, um, and I think part of it when I talk to people about it is that everybody, not everybody, will or will choose to do that. Right, mm -hmm. where they own their own property, their own land, or um, but everybody should be afforded the opportunity to do so. Right. I think the, the major thing, well, yeah, the major thing about land is that it is something that is not socially constructed and so has a permanence to it that gives you that freedom, which distributists are ultimately after. Right. You know, and um, it's so I mean, that's, that's no, it makes sense. That that's why we're on. Happening, <laughs> Because of the ability that even having that small piece of land mm -hmm. to do you know, vegetable gardens or right. whatever will allow to provide for you, we saw that in World War II where people were having to do their victory gardens. Yes. Um, and then yeah. we saw that again during COVID when we had a short supply of food. Yeah. yeah. I mean, literally, all the chickens were out of the rural yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and nobody was wanting to transport them anywhere, right? Um, that people. Remember that we're doing their own small. I mean, we had we wasn't so small, but it, we, my my daughter who's at JPG, mm -hmm. um, that was the first thing she wanted to do. She, we need to do a garden. I said, well, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, big old garden in the backyard. So and it's so much fun, and it gives you an opportunity to um, to give praise to, yeah, because you know that you're not doing. It. Yeah, the labor your hands is, but. So, I, I, you know, I can't produce that. No it's way. There. Yeah. <laughs> I say you can't get a higher ROI than a tomato plant. No. So, yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking forward to your tomato plant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
yeah, you know, and I think just, you know, a lot of the word distributism is, is a little clunky, I think. I think so too. People yeah, misunderstand it because they hear distributism and they think socialism. Yeah, yeah it's no, not. No, it's not. Yeah, I think in, in a way it's been really helpful for me to understand it and it was some perhaps too avant-garde at first is to think of a spectrum. On the one end, you have socialism. On the other, you have capitalism. And distributive is just not on that spectrum. Right. It's a completely different You can't thing. say it's yeah. in the middle. No. Because I've heard people describe it. Well, it's not capitalism and it's not socialism. Yeah. It's yeah. somewhere in the middle. No, mm -hmm. it's not. It's a totally different philosophy. Right. And, and a, a way that, an easy way of understanding capitalism and socialism is not just as theories, but as like real social phenomena. When the popes speak about um, the changing economic climates, what they're doing is they're just looking out at the world and describing it for what it is, rather than um, in, in conversations about socialism and capitalism, mm -hmm. rather than like what socialism as a theory is or what capitalism as a theory is. Right, they're, they're seeing the application. They're seeing the application and then deducing phenomenologically from that. Um, so, on the one hand, you get capitalism, where the means of productive property, or rather the, the ownership of productive property, is in the hands of a few capitalists. Consolidated. Consolidated in the hands of few. In socialism, the, the ownership of productive property is communal at best, but run by a few oligarchs. It's, yeah, it's yeah. consolidated as well. People just don't really recognize that. Right. And so if, I think a lot of people who call themselves capitalists do so in purpose because we're American. We had white Soviets, you know, and also, but they're really at heart longing for something like distributism. Like if they say, no, I'm for ownership, it's not great, then you're really not a capitalist in the traditional sense. Or you just think that there's no problem. These are the exact words on people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. or, or, but, or you just drop the line of, of G.K. Chesterton and says the problem with capitalism is that there's just not enough capitalists, you know, people that actually own the means of yes. property, you know. And it's like, great, if you think that there are not enough capitalists in the world, then more people should be owning, you know, their small businesses, running things, having real economic freedom. Which most people today do not have real economic right. freedom. We have political freedom. We don't have economic freedom. We then you should join our camp. There's a banner. We give out badges from time to time. I haven't received mine, but I heard that they're <laughs> out there. So we'll get you a badge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jim's will take it out of construction paper for you. <laughs> the other, I think, you know, a, a complimentary misunderstanding of distributism is that. Is a question of who does the distributing. And you say, say well, is it, is it the state? The state that does it. And then the answer to that is absolutely not. You know, some of the guys that were the real champions of distributism, following on from the inspiration of Leo XIII's Reverend Navarro and Boyer, Chesterton and Belloc. And Belloc, both of them wrote many essays against the very form of government that we now call the administrative state. Mm -hmm. And what everybody thinks of when we think of governments today. I mean, they are completely incompatible, the state, the administrative state, and this distributist philosophy. Right. So, so who then distributes? Well, well, this is actually when it comes to private citizens recognizing their real responsibility that's God-ordained and handling that with the fear that they need to, to 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 handle it well.
um, that they are we are the ones that are distributing properly, right? That's all all of it. When God created the world, I mean, it was just the sum of us and gave to all of us, right. you know. Mm -hmm. So um you know, the capitalism versus socialism thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the general American public understands, although not all, and there are some people in Catholic circles that call themselves socialists. I don't know how they get away with doing that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just don't. Um, but in the American world, you know, most people, there's a spectrum, probably 20%, that would happily call themselves socialists. But most people would lean toward capitalism. And I think it's just that they don't understand really what that means. Sure, and I don't think they understand what's those twenty percent really understand what socialism is. I mean, I think those the, the popular people that call them socialists today are just welfare capitalists. I mean, it's not like ideological socialism as it was first handed on to us, you know, right. hundred and fifty years ago, hundred and seventy years ago, whatever. Right. Um, I mean, that is a very complicated, dynamic way of thinking. And if you you know, think that socialism is stupid is just because you don't really know what socialism is. So what is yeah. what do you see is the governmental role in distributing? Oh, it's yeah, it's a great question. But I I, I would like to go where you want. Yeah, go into the ideas of what government should be mm -hmm. as a whole. Maybe. That's beautiful. So you find the idea uh, throughout the old testament you get a, a strong condemnation of larger imperial government structures mm -hmm. run by people who identify as gods. <laughs> Caesar, yeah. Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, there's a good list of these guys. Worship me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, and they were considered to be gods. They were rather, they first posed that term God, which actually Judaism and Christianity took on later to help people recognize who God is. The true God is mm -hmm. so. So we borrow the term from them, and it's not the other way around. They're not bastardizing the term God. We're baptizing the term God to speak about Almighty Creator. Yeah, uh, they use that term to describe somebody who had an immense amount of power to control order in places they could not see. Okay. So they. So, so, so we can think about power as the ability to affect your will, you know. And mm -hmm. um, and my my wife has an immense amount of power over me because I love her, you know. And well, she should. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what happens when you don't know the person personally, right? right? You know, how do you affect power in that way? And 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 this is um, don't take me to say too soon that like all. Of, um, impersonal power is evil. I'm not trying to say that, but the mode by which it was utilized in the ancient world were, was um, done in such ways to create slave states, and, right. and that's just a historical fact that it, right. everybody recognizes. Okay, so what was the alternative that was proposed um, by um, by Revelation? Well, in Deuteronomy, it said, you know, you guys are going to ask for a king one day, and and you shouldn't, but when you do. He should not take wives, each many wives. He should not hoard up gold and silver. He should not have men and horses. And he should read the law of the Lord every day. Okay, so those four things are really important. Okay, so uh, he's not taking multiple wives, which is the sense of a manner in which you are creating international power. 
uh, you would not stay immediately all day. You are not to hoard up gold and silver. You're not supposed to have regularized standardized tax system in which you are profiting off of the work of other of, of your subjects. You're not supposed to have a standing army. That's the third thing. And then you're not supposed to create your own law. The law that God has given you is supposed to dictate your own actions. Well, those are the four major ways that governments control us today mm -hmm. as they did in these ancient slave states right you know these international relations the standing armies regularized tax systems and codified law so what happens when christianity ultimately takes over and looking at these old testament insights they started to create new forms of government that didn't look anything like the caesars of old mm -hmm. whereas you did have these standardized all those horrific tax systems in Rome, the Holy Roman Empire had no standardized tax systems. And even in the smaller kingdoms, if the king was going to ask for or receive a tax, he had to ask the citizens for it. it and it was per project, something specific. Right. You know, it was not an everyday thing, an every year thing. Uh, no standing armies. Like that just did not exist throughout history. So all of a sudden, the power of the king is extremely weak. And he starts to look like something else, more like a judge, which is exactly the victim of the mm -hmm. Old Testament, right? Yes. And so he starts to adjudicate based upon the peace that naturally arose among people instead of creating a law that set the order and pattern of people's lives in order that the king could control them. Mm -hmm. So here's a just really easy example. Um, there, there's a great book called Four Church and State that my friend Andrew Jones wrote, um, uh, a blockbuster amongst us nerds. And <laughs> in, in it, he goes through- So 12 of y'all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in it, he goes through all of these different cases that came before uh, Louis the Ninth, the only French monarch ever to be canonized, wow. uh, Saint Louis the Ninth's uh, court in France. Okay, so one of the things that, that happened was that there was a lord one day who was complaining about the peasants taking wood from his forest. And this came before the court of the king, and he said, um, uh, you know, they're, they're, taking, they're taking my wood. To which the peasants replied, well, we always take his wood. He goes, well, not always. You took two cartfuls this year. In years past, you only took one. And the king and his court go through and they adjudicate. They've seen in the past, I think it was 56 years. Some years they only took one, but other years they took two. So by taking two, they didn't really do anything different than what they have been doing. They actually had been maintaining the peace, and that Lord was trying to disturb it. So there is a law written on the books that they were allowed to take two cartfuls, but that only remained on the books so long as the Lord was upset. As, fine as, as soon as he was like, all right, fine, whatever, I'm not going to cause a fuss, they actually scrubbed it from the law. You know, so there's not this, this you know, multi-volume, endless amount of do's and don'ts. It's really, how can you, as my neighbor, and me, as my neighbor, yeah, yeah, exactly. how can you keep a real game of peace, not one that's dictated by the fear that I know the king's going to come over and be well, And you look at the, the way law is set up in the United States now, literally 
everybody could get caught for some kind of felony at any point in time during the day if somebody decided they wanted to come out. Totally. And that is, there is something wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. inherently, there's something wrong with that. Yeah. Because that's not the way it should be. Yeah. What, you know, why should yeah. Joseph, who is a fairly decent guy, have committed three felonies on his way to work today that he didn't even know about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but he really could have paid for those Yeah, but no. Yeah. So Sorry. Yeah. Even we're going to put him in a monastery and not let him talk to people. Yeah. <laughs> Solves a lot of issues. <laughs> that solves the problem. <laughs> um, so, like, so, anyways, I kind of give that back. In, in no, it makes sense. Okay. So, so, what did like what, what would then the proposal of the dictates of the, of the church be in, in this regard? Well, it would the first thing is that we need to actually build up some sort of government to be able to to do that again. But right now, we just don't have mm -hmm. one. We don't have recourse to it. So, uh, the, the movement from the, this capitalists or welfare capitalists state that we are currently living in mm -hmm. back to distributed is going to be done by first us figuring out what's wrong thinking about what's right informing our wills of what's right and starting to desire something else and then starting to strategize based upon those desires of, of this new plan that we have so it's going to be personal it's going to be uh it, or excuse me, it's going to be governed by personal conversion, and it's going to be done in very small, local, intentional ways. So I just don't really think that the government has any practical application right here in the beginning. Maybe one day when you know we listen to John Paul II, he'd say that we should have employee ownership or uh, or profit sharing amongst all of our employees. Um, when he teaches us that from his magisterial seat, when we do that one day, uh, if somebody breaks that, Peace, then the government should come in and say, like, hey, why'd you stop doing this? You know, right. there'd be something along those lines. And that would go completely against capitalist world. <laughs> they would say, why are you intervening in that? This is my right to do whatever I want. Right, exactly. Yeah. But you know, the catechism of the Catholic Church, uh 2434 paragraph says that just because you've agreed to do something, like two parties have agreed to do something, doesn't make it just. No. It's like I could have agreed. You know, to you to like sell my daughter into into your prostitution ring. It's like we agreed on it. What's wrong with that? <laughs> you know? We would never agree on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I know I understand what you're saying. Yeah, you know, yeah, no, I wanted to use the screen example to, um, to you know just make sure that's clear. Or you can say that well, there's some sort of semblance of justice in you know an agreement that we made because there's risk involved. Well, Russian roulette is risky. That's not just either. Yeah. And so there's this, there's a, you know, a whole number of problems that come with just the mere rule of agreement, um, which was a you know, big thing for Pope Benedict XVI. And he says that all all agreements need to be adjudicated and governed by a third who is the revelation of the right. God. Right. I've often thought of the role. I really have thought because I work so um intimately a lot of times with people who are actively involved in the government or mm. those kind of things um i've always the thing i've always said is one your your role is to create a system of justice mm -hmm. right that's grounded in natural law yeah, yeah. right yep. 
Um, and then secondarily, it's create um, a way in which everybody has the opportunity to prosper. Mm-hmm. Right. So even if there are some private yeah. government partnerships to take place to build that pro- prosperity to give create opportunity for ownership. Right. Ultimately, that's what the goal should be: is that opportunity for ownership in which in which justice is paramount. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see that anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> now, I will tell you, and I'll share this with you because I think you'll find it interesting. Um, in the Acadiana area, the city of Broussard, um, further south from here, <clears throat> their system, the mayor, has done a really good job of private public partnerships to bring in locally owned small businesses and create opportunities for them to establish businesses. Yeah, that's great. Which is, um, they have a company, um, I'm, I'm going to I'm have a 61-year-old moment here, I don't remember the name <laughs> of it. If there's a PPE plant, which is a locally owned company in Broussard, that the, the mayor, the Economic Development Corporation, and the um, Chamber of Commerce um, worked with the people who own the land to make sure it was certified mm-hmm. for, you know, pass all the government regs, right? Um, and then they're putting over 1500 Wow. Well-paying jobs, not minimum wage jobs. Yeah. You're talking $30, $40 an hour jobs. Mm-hmm. So um, I think there are some ways to do that. Um, but it, as um, who was one of the founding fathers of the country said, it, it takes a moral society. Right? Mm-hmm. If we walk away from morals, then all that's still in the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's not perfect, but you know, I think there's some opportunities to do this kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be kind of a revolution, but yes, and I think it's. It, I like what you said. Most it's more um, locally started. It's mm-hmm. not going. To, you're never not in our lifetime. We have a national push to do that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they would probably literally crucify us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it, up like this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And also, it's just not the means that are distributed it's been used. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to go over and use the full force of the administrative state to implement these things. Right. That's just against the very virtues that we're attempting to achieve or even the ability to set such virtues. So, agree. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Uh, because ultimately, government's natural um, flow is going to be to consolidate its own power. Oh, and that's exactly yeah. what we're seeing in our country today, that's even crazy. at the state level. You know, you're seeing that consolidation of power, and that's never good. It goes back yeah. to what you said about consolidation of power earlier. Right? Yeah, it's just not. It's not a good philosophy. It yeah. goes against the common man. Yeah, yeah, it's the common good. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So, it, uh, you know, again, I'm just a common guy on the street. Uh, now I've heard a little bit about distributism. <laughs> what should I do? <laughs> Depends on who you are. Okay, you know? that's, so, good to, that's good to delineate that. So if you are already a small business owner, then the first thing that you should be doing is uh, redistribute either shares of your company to the workers or to uh, give them equal profit share in, in what, what you're making. So the reason why you do that is that Labor is always the priority over capital. Um, capital in and of itself is unproductive. You need, you can't just say that the right. apple tree is growing apples. It's only productive when somebody goes and picks them. 
you know, uh, the money is in itself not working. We use that phrase a lot. We've got to make our money work for us. It's like, no, somebody is working by means of the power that you're giving them right. through the money. Uh, labor is always the priority, ultimately, for John Paul II, because it is the labor that we're trying to help get to heaven. Right. Um, so, and you also just have to realize that the job just wouldn't be done with, with those guys. You know, it doesn't matter if you have some sort of strange legal claim to all the profits. That is one of those agreements that just really, think about it, does not make any sense. Why isn't it the people, you might be the, like the, the brainchild behind it. Um, you could really be the, the, the manager of all of it. And that's great. You should be compensated for that. But the idea of the profits is being something that's external to your managerial activities does not make any sense. So obviously you could have um, you know, a CEO of the company like owning all the shares of the company and he's managing day after day, and then he retires, but he's still owning all the shares, you know. And so that is I hope just highlights that distinction between mm -hmm. earning a paycheck from your work versus right having legal claim to um to to the company as a whole. So uh so because there is that priority, that real priority of labor over capital. Um, that needs to be recognized in the way that you compensate your employees, giving them uh, the freedom of being part of this thing that you have created, and um, and the joy of being that being like your collaborator, and that it's going to make them work harder and need to leave and to have greater dignity that they recognize in themselves, and so they're going to be just happier, better employees. Ultimately, all of this is to become better friends with God and one another, and that's a pretty damn good way of doing it. So where we should all be shooting. For yeah, point, right. Yeah. So that's that's a means by which you can become, um, uh, yeah, become a better friend. Uh, you know, if you are an employee working at uh, a company, I, you know, this is one of those other things that I think because is, that's most people. Yeah. Right. You most know, people are employed working at. Mm -hmm. I mean. You're probably in the population, 95% of the people out there are working for somebody else. Right. right? Yeah. I wish that was lower. Right. I mean, I wish it was more people working for themselves. But yeah, it's, that's that's important to help people see that. Yeah. So so most so if you're if you're most people, <laughs> and then odds are you are. The um, you, you actually are in a place of impotence. You don't really have that much recourse in this situation. And the first thing to do is offer up that offer that up. You know, um, don't get mad, don't get bitter, don't get sour, get prayerful about that. Um, that is uh, that's the you know, only real source of, of genuine revolution. Pray for opportunities out of it. Other things that I, I would really recommend though is that um, you look around at our our society. You know, already mentioning that we have um, surrendered so much of our ownership um, to to the hands of few. Um, but like we should take a careful look at how nitty gritty that gets. Like how many things am I actually giving up that I shouldn't be giving up that I don't have to be giving up? So give me an example. So one one example is obviously like am I renting my apart of uh, an apartment or am I owning a home and being able to cultivate that? But other ideas are um, well, have I given up my own ability to for to give somebody directions, or am I renting out that skill from Google and from Apple? You know, we so many of our skills we are renting from our technological overlords. Um, you know, I, I like to poke at at um, 
you know, that's almost like the new oligarchy out there. But no doubt it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no doubt it is. Um, you know, to say that I'm I'm ranking um, my skills of of building. You know, those are some skills that I can start to develop on my own and mm -hmm. get more sure. yeah. You know, do and, and once you have more skills, things get less expensive. You know, and you're able to do more. You can build those up, or you develop a real tangible skill. And I would start with the, all the necessities on this as well. Don't just you know try to figure out how to start coding Python. You know, in Python, but rather you know go to Lowe's, go to your you know local ag store. You know, every economy is built on three things, food, shelter, and clothing. You know, those are the those are the bare necessities of life. Um, I'd start start with those and see see where that can take you. But um, but you know, the number of things that we have just surrendered our memories to Google. Um, I, I poke at you know young men and it's like, look, you even need the help of sexual arousal thanks to these technological overlords. I mean, it's just that's embarrassment on embarrassment, you know? Uh, it's like, you can't even do that right, you know? <laughs> totally getting up all the like <laughs> Um I mean, it's, it's just every aspect of our life seems to be rented more and more and more. So let's try and own ourselves, our abilities, uh, more and more and more because not only you know to have some sort of someone's dignity um, but the more that you can do the more you can give um and and that's uh you know within this cosmic gift economy that god has created us within that is that is probably the be, i'm listening to what you're saying be um almost a tradition for a father and with that so i'm gonna yeah. focus there sorry ladies but for a father to teach his son Mm -hmm. those basic skills yeah but society has shifted that and that's basically evaporated mm -hmm. i mean just to show by the young man how to hammer a nail yeah. you know, how, to, how to make a chair mm -hmm. you know now you can youtube everything thank you google right <laughs> <laughs> but that's still not the passing on of that skill from one to the other yeah you know, um and there really needs in those um I like how you're talking about that because those skills today, and I tell uh, young men and women, but um, that when they're coming out of high school, not everybody is going to college bound, mm -hmm. like, or nor should they. But those skills that they can get from learning how to do those things would certainly be the way in which they support themselves. You know, um, my wife has a cousin. He did not want to go to college. He went and apprenticed as a plumber. Cool. Then he got his master's plumbing license. Oh, then he got his commercial plumbing license. Mm -hmm. He now he has six or seven employees. He's doing very well. Has five kids, all boys. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> <And> Ryan. <laughs> right? They're all coming up to teenagers here. They can't imagine what that house smells like. <laughs> um, and he really has found prosperity through that ownership of his skill, but also mm -hmm. turning it into ownership of a business. Yeah, and that's really he doesn't know it. That's what you're to play. Yeah. Right, absolutely, it is. Yeah, we need more of that. Yeah, you know, So we're we're founding this college of St. Joseph the Worker. That's one of the things that's come out. It's come out of the polity where we will simultaneously train students in the Catholic intellectual tradition to earn their BA degrees, while simultaneously training them in the skilled trades to become a licensed carpenter, electrician, mason, plumber, or anything. Um, and anyway, really, you know, for that, um, I mean, we need different parts of 
you know, reason to philosophical reason for the model, but to be able to give them the content of Catholic social teaching and a manner in which to implement it in a beautiful way. And the hope is that they too, you know, might be able to own, run their own businesses, um, raise up good families, good employees, and start to change their their parish culture. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I think from a um, from a human dignity standpoint, somebody always harms that kind of skill, right? Mm -hmm. No matter what happens, they will always be able to support their family. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> always. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, and the combination of that skill yeah. plus owning a small piece of land, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It, I, that's really the way God is. Absolutely. You know, the first Adam was a farmer, the second one was a craftsman, you yeah. know, and both are, are fundamentally distributed um, jobs. Absolutely. Know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It actually could translate to like craftsmen just generally here. Yeah, even um, even like a general contractor is not is not a bad way of rendering it. Yeah. yeah. And that, absolutely. I really like how you say that. And I think that puts it in context where people can understand it. Mm -hmm. Right now, let let's go. Let's look at it in a different way. Um, the average man, as you look at, you've studied this way more intensely than I have. Right? Um, what in that average man's life or woman, you know, the average person? I say yeah. man in the church sure, sure, yeah. in that sense. Um, most people don't understand that anymore. But you say that, <laughs> but that's in the sense, right? Um, what what? are they doing that actually works against you said they they're renting explain to kind of um you know flesh that out a little bit for me yeah it, um so we live in this technologically advanced society or a technological age some people have uh called it a technopoly where everything is governed by the things that we've created you can't get away from it no you really can't can't get it and it's um important to realize what technology does to a society it, because e the introduction of each new piece of tech completely changes the social order uh, you know to use a parallel example if i have an ecosystem and i add a caterpillar to it i don't just have the same ecosystem plus a caterpillar i have a completely new ecosystem okay um, so i'm ripping off a guy named neil postman what i'm saying saying okay. that and um and, and and you see this with every the, the creation of every new piece of technology so let's you know let's go way back the invention of the clock you know was was a really big one um things were no longer you know moments of time were no longer measured based upon what job needed to be done and its fulfillment and accomplishment in it rather you're track you're now tracking particular hours and trying to maximize Effect, effectiveness and productivity within each every, in every single hour. Never thought of that. Mm -hmm. That is so true. Yeah. In in so you stopped basing the passing of time based upon um, objective standards and necessity, like things that are actually changing in mm -hmm. your life, uh, and have now superimposed a numerical matrix on everything that's doing, uh, on everything that you're doing. And so that that was a, a major shift in in economic history was the invention of the clock um, for that reason and a few others and every single new piece of tech does that I mean we all saw that with you know when cell phones were invented all of a sudden 
kids are not just playing out on their blocks anymore. You know, they're going over driving the over and driving over. Yeah. And of course that started with, you know, the the trains and, and cars and such. And, and, and I think the cars are, are really big. Um, this is something that maybe it's worthwhile spending a moment on because our society is no longer designed for humans. Like it's like our, our, our entire cities are not designed for people to walk have to move places on they're designed for cars you know cars are the dominant mode of transportation and and humans are kind of left behind as a result of of that i mean changes our entire architectural system i mean just go back and look at the old uh cities of europe that were pre-car versus now the american grid i mean they just they look completely different you can't dry now <laughs> yeah 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 that's okay yeah and, and, and you know what? You also just don't want to like spend time in a grid system, like as a person, versus you know those old turns are yeah, beautiful. Yeah. 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 There is some. There is a spiritual aspect of walking through that. Yes, that brings you back. Yes, yes. Um, and, I, and I appreciate the the thought process of being able to walk places. Like, just very personally, I appreciate it because we chose where we're living today. Because it's in walking distance to the grocery store, it's in walking distance to the park, it's in walking distance to the church that we go to. I mean, it's all in walking distance if I choose to do so. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, and there is some level of freedom to that, mm -hmm. right? Because then there's no worry of, well, I can't get across town to go right? yeah. get my groceries that I don't produce for myself. Yeah, right? exactly. Okay. But it's just a lot of what our technology is producing is more problems. So the, I think the car is a really good example because uh, because of the numbers just don't really line up. So that if you take the average, like you know, how, how do you uh, how, how do you measure how fast the car is going? It's miles per hour, right? Mm -hmm. No, you can't just say hours that you were actively driving. What about all the hours it took to make the money to buy the car? What about all the hours it takes to maintain the car? All the month hours it takes to buy the gas to pay for the insurance i mean the new oh, tires the new brakes so right? right i mean it's an unbelievable amount and and there's a guy named ivan illich who actually put the numbers together and this is in the late 70s so things got worse since then you know and and what he did was he, he was very generous he's like i'm not even going to include purchase price um i'm not going to include um insurance and he just kind of used very basic numbers on the average. Yeah. Right. And, and you take the total number of hours that a, a person usually spends maintaining and keeping up its car, pay for gas, etc. And you get that they're going on average about five miles per hour. But the average person walks three miles per hour. Right. So we have done that much gain. Tectonic right. shit. In our society, make things you so make much harder to work every day. Yeah, they were. Yeah, literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, we've done all this work for two miles per hour. I mean, give me a break, you know? And so, but how many other pieces of technology are like that? We, every piece of technology that we create is in some sense for security. Like we create a house so we might be secure from the weather. We create new uh, farming techniques so that we might have our food. It, it, in some cases, it is for the procuration of some good that we desire, but it is still for securing right. that thing that we want. Right. 
And within the modern technological society, we have forfeited the security that we have ultimately tried to achieve. We have forfeited our memories by turning to Google. We have forfeited. It's nobody remembers yeah. anything. Just look it up. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm so tired of hearing Google it. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then I refuse to be, use Google, by the way. Wow. <laughs> Good on you. All right. I hey. use some other search. Yeah. I'm not using Google. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So, you know, and, and, and you can kind of go down the list of all the things that we forfeited by means of technology, which we have really chosen convenience over security. And in that process, we have chosen the vice of luxury over the good of ownership right. in this process. That's um, And so you can go down the list. And, 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 and luxury, the vice of luxury could be slavery in of itself. Yeah, absolutely. Mainly if you yeah. think about that is what are you working for? What, why are you, how many hours of production is going to take for you to buy a $10,000 sofa? We know people do that. Mm -hmm. thinking, okay, I always think back to my grandparents, you know, my mama and my papa, they had the same soap forever. <laughs> and they were very happy. <laughs> you know, it was very simple. We went to daily went walk to Daily Mass to the poor black church, Catholic Church around the corner. Um they have corner grocery store. You know what I mean? That's in the corner grocery store to me is also distributors, right? Because it yes. allows that neighborhood, that walking distance to go pick up your chicken. Of course, they had a lot of chicken they sold. So <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, but then we have to chase them down. Yeah. <laughs> that chicken in the yard, you have to chase them down. <laughs> so um, it's just, you know, it, it is a different, um, it's just from way to think through it, right? You know, yeah. I think that thinking through it is. It's really what we're challenging people to do is think through, not mm -hmm. just respond. And I think that's the issue with Google and all of and having the iPhone where you're hit that all the time. Yeah. You don't have to think through anything. You don't have to figure anything out. Mm -hmm. um, it just tells you what they think. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily always right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and probably most of the time it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Interesting. Very yeah. good. So I think this has been a good talk so far, Jay. <laughs> so let's kind of move on just yeah. past distributism and tell us what's next for you. Where are you going from here? Yeah, well, you know, when I, um, right before I started my, my doctorate, I was talking to a friend of mine who um, uh, was working in Catholic higher ed, and he's feeling increasingly guilty about welcoming students into debt slavery, really, which is what's happening is. in, in yeah. Ireland. And, um, and so I- And they're not getting good educations, no. necessarily. Taking kids' monies and not really giving them a full mind in the end. A basket reading degree for $100,000 yeah. is really not. <laughs> I'm using an exaggeration, but there's, there's no real gain there. Yeah, absolutely. Or, I mean, I think in worst cases, um, maybe not worst cases, but some pretty savage ones is that you're teaching kids, uh, you're giving them theology degrees, like teaching them the goodness of uh, Catholic life, God descending to man, transforming our society that we might be with him, um, and then sending them out $60,000 in debt and make, unable to have make $45,000 a year. Yeah, make $45,000 a year and not really able to afford a family, right. you know. so. Almost like dangling the good over them and saying, "Hi, oh, no, you can't achieve it." 
it's and there's something wrong with that. Oh yeah, I think so. And so he's kind of told me all of this before I get my doctorate. And I really wanted to be a professor, you know, and uh I guess I can't now. And so that was, you know, one part of the reason why I kind of sat down and started to build out the model of the College of St. Joseph the Worker. So we are we're really doing well. We're so excited to welcome our first class uh this fall. Fantastic. And um where tell everybody where it'll where is it going to be? Yeah, how is it all gonna work? We're uh building it in by the way, I love Sam. Praise God. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just <laughs> he's so good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's in downtown Steubenville, so okay. uh, Franciscan so University. You help revive some of those boarded-up areas. Yeah, we have a great model where we're either buying or being given some of these dilapidated buildings, and our students are going to be fixing them up. We're going to be able to help them design. Oh, you know, at, this is starting year three once they have to actually have some pretty competent skill, but having them design, remodel, and flip. And then they get to share in the profits, you know, all the way That's through. Awesome. So it's uh, it's a really wise. I hope it's a very wise use of donor dollars, um, where we can extend their gifts into uh, giving students an opportunity to dignify their labor, uh, and then turn that around for a gift to the college as well as, as to the students. So it's a win-win. That's beautiful. I'd love to come up there and see that one. I would love to host you. It so would be, yeah. that, would, that would be so much fun. Yeah. So we're partnering with Franciscan University on a, on a few things. Uh, they want to start offering a minor in construction trade. So we we'll would teach that for them. That's, really that's revolutionary for Franciscan, right? Yeah, it is. But, you know, not for Franciscans. I mean, right. No. So you university. university. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so it fits actually, you know, mm -hmm. St. Francis was given the charge, you know, to rebuild my church, yeah. and it was a physical building and that God was talking about, yeah. yeah, and he did that, and then went on and built something larger right. as well. Um, so it's, it's a, so that's great, and we are for that trade. We, uh, their library is our library, their gym is our gym. Um, our students will be taking classes in downtown with, with our professors, but some of our professors are also professors at Franciscan like Scott Hahn and John Burks. So we're really excited That's to welcome them. Pretty incredible. Yeah, we're, we're having How long have you been working on it? It's been about four years since so I That's first moved pretty quickly. That's moved fairly fast. Yeah. It's yeah. funny how God works that out. Right? So you yeah. your first class will be this fall? That's right. Yeah. So we'll just be able to take a first 30. Um, but you know, we're well, able still to be pretty very, good. 30. Yeah. Is it, yeah, and we get to be very selective with people that we've uh we have in mind so far and um we'll welcome our uh, really impressive so explain that yes. that process so you said very selective explain that process a little bit yeah so in many ways it's a, it's a standard application like mm -hmm. like any good college would have um plus once we go through their written application of their their essays um and and answers to our more basic questions um they will then we'll select some of them or have selected some of them uh to then do interviews with us and then we ask them a series we have our interview uh, and then we select our students from there. And it's been very impressive. Students are looking for Well, really, we are looking for students who are totally committed to the intellectual life, that really, really want to study the treasures of our Catholic intellectual tradition, while also knowing that they want to 
at least have the same skill that our Lord had whilst incarnate and amongst us. Um, so, you know, there's been this huge lie that our society has told us that we need to divorce the head from the hands and that shoe color trades are not dignified uh, occupations. And in a lot of ways, it's a lot more dignified. Yeah, I, you know, it's just, it's just an art and scale. I, mean, it's, I get a little envious to it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I just wasn't talking into this thing. Right. And it's so much fun, actually, too. But, um, you, you know, at the end of the day, you always have that step back effect. You can, like, step back from what you're working on, see a change from what you began with mm -hmm. that morning and say, I did that. You know, there's, there's real effect. That's why I like art. Yeah, you see that. Right? Yeah. I mean, the work of your hands and getting in the dirt. So it makes sense. Yeah. I don't get the same satisfaction with my spreadsheets. Joe just gets a lot of satisfaction. He's much better at it than I am. Right <laughs> I mean, it's fun. And don't get me wrong. You know, no, but there's but a different, yeah, different, yeah. different. Yeah. It, it is something you step back and look yeah. at and say, I built that, I made that, I grew that. That kind of thing. Yep. I mean, I think that's, um, there is that kind of satisfaction. Yeah. And not necessarily all of our kids are going to end up being craftsmen for their whole life. They can mm -hmm. go off and do something else. But having those skills will always be an asset. I mean, being skilled is never a liability. So it's uh, <laughs> my son in law is very good at those kind of things. Yeah. Farmer's family. Yeah. Yeah. So he's very, he makes tables and he's made end tables for my daughter. and. He made cutting boards for my wife, and it, it really is a beautiful thing when he brings that as a gift and says, "Here, I made that for you." Yeah. You know, I could see my wife's heart go beat, beat, beat more because it was made with the skill of his hand as opposed to purchased in the Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I had you in mind. There's a certain yes. part of me in this. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, let's let's kind of begin to kind of put a bow on everything a little right. bit. Oh, <laughs> I really enjoy talking about the truthism piece of this and how it, economics because it's it's as a small business owner that has consulting business, it's where we live our life, right? Um, but let's get a little bit more personal. So we want to do that. Um, just casual things. How do you like spending your free time? I actually do spend it woodworking. Um, that's cool. Yeah, mainly what, what I do. I'd love to see some of the things you do. Yeah, well, my wife grew up on a farm. Uh, okay. Well. So before we got married, I said, you know, I, I promised her we'd get back to a farm one day. And so we uh, did just buy some land in Toronto, Ohio, which is just the next city up from mm -hmm. Steubenville. It's about a 15 minute drive from most places of work. So sadly, it still requires a car that only makes me get two miles per hour faster. But, <laughs> right. uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's the way that our society is ordered right now. Uh, so I there's a little shack. There's a little shack on there. And so I've been spending my free time fixing that up, getting us ready to move in there. So the electricals are almost done. The um, the carbon trees pretty I mean it's, yeah pretty much done putting some final touches on on that putting the flooring putting the furnace you know those are yeah. the things that I'm, it's just a weekend warrior thing so it's yeah. going slow but that's my free time so you have to yeah support the family in other ways yeah exactly yeah. right yeah <laughs> um, favorite food uh, hummus. Hummus, good. Okay. Right here, yeah, it's good. Yeah, good. you make your own. I do. Yeah, very good. So I have to get your recipe. All right, my wife likes to make hummus. So, uh, we're more Cajun cooks, but I like to make hummus. Actually, my my daughter Catherine likes to make hummus. Too. Yeah. Oh, she, she's a hummus guacamole girl. She likes to. Make oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Favorite dessert? 
Center of revitalization that we're trying and to go. Those breweries so. tend to kind of bring in all. I've watched that happen in several places. So yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, so we're trying to, there's many ways of doing it uh, cheaper and faster, but we wanted to do it really well for our city. And so it's taking a bit more time than mm-hmm. a normal build out. But, uh, anyways, so I, you're I have to say, guy. well, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm a Saison guy. Okay. Yeah, but I'm never, I'm yeah. not really, sorry, IPA guys. It, yeah. it tastes like turpentine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to be doing old Belgian style. Good. Like that. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> you have a lot of irons in the fire. Yeah, you know it's a rich life to get to it. Full, right? Yeah, this yeah. full and rich. I like yeah. that. I always, I, I stop, try to stop telling people I was busy because yeah. of, of John Paul, brother John Paul at mm. the Society for Jesus. I was telling him that you know, day, how you doing? Know, I'm really busy. He's like, well, what are you doing? You got to everything. Well, your life is full. Yeah. <laughs> I like the rich too. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to thank you. I appreciate you coming in. It was a lot of fun today. Yeah, I enjoyed my time with you. A lot of fun today. We're gonna to keep in touch. When I have an opportunity, I definitely want to come up and see what you're doing and and talk a little bit more about the quality and some of the um different things that go on there. Fantastic. Or the yeah, showing you around when you come, Flint State Stars. You know, stay with us when you come. That'd be great. Love that.